0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want you to uh, be with me tonight in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. verse 4 and 5. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. But God who is rich in mercy. Sometimes we find it difficult And we don't always get it right to try to balance certain things in our lives. We want to be truthful, but not hurtful. We want to be wise, but not conceited. We want to be self-effacing, but not superficial. We want to be strong, but not hard. We want to be sensitive, but not weak. And the truth is, we don't always get that right. Sure, we don't. Balancing, our character, is not easy. Something that we have to work at. God has got many facets to his character, and they work perfectly. I want to focus tonight on one particular facet of the character of God, that is his mercy. But before I do that, I need to lay that alongside uh, his justice. it's relatively easy, I think, uh, to understand God's sense of justice. Uh, We would not expect anything less of God than to be a just, fair God who would be even-handed with everyone. And even at times, if we struggle to understand the justice of God, at least we will admit, well, God is a just God. And even if there's times whenever our idea of justice clashes with his idea of justice, we bow to his superior knowledge that he is in control of all of the facts that perhaps we don't know. And so we are grateful to God that he is a, a just God. Because if he wasn't, we would have never any hope of saying all right, all wrongs being righted. Uh, one of the the reasons why we should believe in eternity is for that very reason. Because we want to see God make right everything that's been wrong. And there's lots of things in this life that are wrong, terribly wrong. And, and we don't seem to see it being made right. And the fact is that there's some things in this life will not be made right in this life. But thank God for the next life, for eternity, Because God will make sure that everything is made right. His justice will see to that. And so, there's times when things are blatantly unjust. And whenever we see such things, and we see perpetrators of violence or murder or rape or whatever, uh, seemingly getting away with it, and sometimes seemingly getting rewarded for it, then our blood boils whenever we see injustice face to face. It's just so unfair, we say. It's not right. But even as in fallen and perfect human beings, all of us sense the need for justice. And all of us cry out for justice. There are movements around the world that do their best to try to get justice for individuals or for people groups. I know that Ruth is involved in A21, for example, with uh, human trafficking, particularly among young women. And it's so unjust, it's so unfair, it's so wrong. But there are people who are fighting that cause. Why? Because they've got a sense of justice and injustice. Slavery, for example, wasn't always counted as an injustice. In the ancient world, slavery was the norm. It was quite normal. But there's a difference, by the way, between slavery among the Hebrews and slavery among the pagans. In Hebrew culture, particularly Old Testament, when it came to slaves among the Hebrews themselves... Uh, then it wasn't so much as a slave as more of a servant. Uh, somebody would be indentured. Uh, they would owe somebody money. And if they couldn't pay, then they would sell themselves to that person, as it were, and try to work off that debt. And it would never last any more than six years. That would be the absolute limit. And if the year of Jubilee came in that six-year period. Then it would end right there and then in the year of Jubilee. And so it was fair. Somebody could buy them out of that servitude. If they had somebody who was a relative, a kinsman, and they had the money, they could buy them out of that. So it it was not a cruel uh, kind of a slavery that we can think of today when it came to Hebrew with Hebrew. God made certain laws in the Old Testament. Uh, to ensure that. And the person who was working for the other person, the other person had to make sure that they treated them right and properly and fairly in all ways. Of course, nowadays, if you disagree with somebody else's lifestyle, if you just disagree with it, uh, then you are in trouble. Uh, did you see just this past week that some street preacher, I think it was in England, Uh, A group of young people gathered around him when he was preaching, and then they started asking questions, and one of them says about homosexuality in the Bible. What does the Bible say? And he told them very clearly and plainly, in the nicest way possible, what the Bible says about homosexuality. They went off. He told the police. The police came and arrested him for incitement to hatred, and he ended up in court. Thankfully, the judge dismissed the whole thing as a nonsense because he wasn't inciting any hatred. And so the injustice card can be played many, many times in many, many ways. Nevertheless, man has got an innate sense of injustice within them. And so to a reasonable degree, we could say that we, don't fully, but to a reasonable degree, we say we understand the justice of God. But how do we account for a God of mercy. That's a different thing entirely. Mm -hmm. Particularly when the Apostle Paul, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, verse 6, where he talks about all of us are like sheep that has gone astray. Every one of us has turned to their own way. And so we have broken every law of God. We were born sinners. We are rebellious. The apostle Paul says that we are children of wrath just as the others. So the fact is, before a holy God, we haven't got a leg to stand on. If we were standing before the bar of God in the dock and that very long list of offenses was read out, all we could say is, guilty as charged. That's all we could say, because we are guilty as charged. But God, who is rich in mercy... What a wonderful statement of Paul, but God who is rich in mercy. He writes to his young son of the faith, young Pastor Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 14, and he's giving a bit of testimony. He says, "'I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me "'because he counted me faithful, "'putting me into the ministry.'" Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, <laughs> whatever that all entails, rude, obnoxious, insolent, but I obtained mercy. Amen. That was his testimony. I obtained mercy. And the truth is that every one of us tonight that knows Christ have obtained mercy. Yes. That's what's made us what we are tonight, the mercy of God. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So Paul the persecutor, Paul the prosecutor, became Paul the preacher. The arrogant Saul became the apostle Paul. The protagonist became the apologist. And Saul became a completely changed man. He was a mess, an absolute mess before he met Christ. Highly religious, a full blown Pharisee who hated Christians. With a passion, who was not only content to hound this Nazarene sack down in his own country, but was prepared to go to Syria, even to Damascus, in order to incarcerate or even worse, to stone them to death. Yet, in spite of that hard, outer, religious, prideful shell that he had, there was a nagging conscience underneath that that wouldn't let him go. And on that road to Damascus and Syria, he had that incredible, extraordinary encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed him great mercy. Why are you persecuting me? Could have struck him down could have condemned him to hell for eternity but instead he says but I obtained mercy and that mess of a man became a miracle of a man became the greatest missionary evangelist that ever walked the face of this earth to that day and to this day that's what mercy can do that's the mercy of God. Simon Peter was a mess. Outspoken, opinionated, brash, cocky, super self confident his own ability, prideful, no humility whatsoever. <laughs> never crossed his mind that he could actually spectacularly feel the Lord Jesus Christ. Never crossed his mind. He looked at the other disciples and it crossed his mind that they certainly could and told Jesus no uncertain term, though they walk away from you. I'll never do that. How prideful is that? How brash is that? Even at one point when Jesus rebuked him and said, get thee behind me, Satan, he don't savor the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Even with a rebuke like that in front of everybody, you would have thought that he would have cooled his heels. He would have thought he would have learned his lesson, but no, he didn't. And what he didn't know was he was heading headlong into a humiliating fall that would be so embarrassing, it would be so shameful, it would be so humiliating that he would weep and weep and weep bitterly. But the mercy of God. But for the mercy of God God wasn't finished with him. God who is rich in mercy. Some days later, you remember how Jesus met them at the seashore after a fruitless night's fishing, called them to himself, had a little barbecue going for them, called Peter aside three times asking, do you love me? There's the mercy of God winning him back. Yes, bringing correction. Yes, making sure he knew what had happened. But yes, letting him know that he had been forgiven. And that God still had a great plan for his life. And 50 days from the day he failed miserably, 50 days later, That mess of a man was a miracle of a man on the day of Pentecost. What a sermon, what a preacher. Filled with the Holy Ghost, he preached like he'd never preached before. And thousands of people were touched in their hearts and they came to the Savior. But God, who is rich, in mercy. The tension, the stress in Abraham's household was palpable. God had promised them a child in their own age, their old age, but Sarah's biological reproductive organs were dead. Never had any life in them. And now Abraham's getting older since they got the promise. And panic and frustration began to set in. And Sarah determined, come what may, one way or the other, we will have the son of promise. I can't provide it. He's getting older. I better do something. And so... Hagar, her Egyptian maid, would become, as it were, the surrogate mother. And being young and fertile, it wasn't long that Hagar was pregnant. A little while later, Ishmael was born. And then it really did go shape. And because Hagar, in her pride and in her arrogance, began to mock her mistress, Sarah. She was just the slave, the maid. Sarah couldn't give her husband a child, but she could. And so she became puffed up with pride and arrogance. And then Sarah got angry and began to treat her harshly, roughly, it must have been a terrible household at that time. And Abraham, he did nothing. He stood aside, took no responsibility. What a mess. What a dysfunctional family we've got here. And it was a mess. And it was getting worse by the day, to the point where Hagar had to flee the house and go into the wilderness. But God followed her and met up with her at a well and said, Hagar, I want you to go back and submit to Sarah, but I'm going to make of your son a great nation. (laughs) There's mercy. A great nation. Fifteen years later, Sarah and Abraham had that son of promise, miraculously. Had their son of promise. Another great miracle, because out of Isaac came the whole Hebrew nation. To this day, they're <laughs> the most amazing nation, the face of the earth, the Jews. Their history is amazing. The only nation that has ever been that has Resurrected after thousands of years has resurrected their language and still speak it to this day. The only nation in this world that still is in their capital city after thousands of years to this day. Six million of them were gassed and burned 70 years ago. Almost half their population wiped out. But today their economy and their country is thriving. It's one of the best technological nations on the face of the earth. (laughs) What a miracle. And so from that mess, Abraham was wrong, Sarah was wrong, Hagar was wrong, but God gave them his mercy. And from that mercy came a miracle. Here to this day. But God, who is rich in mercy, why? Why is God rich in mercy? Do we deserve His mercy? No. We were lawbreakers. We were rebellious against his laws. Whether we knew it or not, we were. We didn't deserve any mercy. But yet in mercy, he came through his son to us. What caused God to be merciful? Well, we read the scripture, because of his great love with which He loved us. (laughs) His love is where his mercy flows from. His love is where his grace flows from. Because he loved us, he did something about us. Imagine if God's mercy had not been made available and only his justice. Where would we be tonight if it was only His justice? Where would we be standing before God if all He could offer us was justice and judgment? We'd be lost. And that's what we deserved. But instead, He came in mercy, and He came in grace, and He came through His Son and he showed us grace and kindness and mercy through Jesus what a great god we have zechariah the father of john the baptist after he was born eight days later they as was the custom they would take him to the temple to dedicate him and for the rite of circumcision And when he got there, the Spirit of God came on him, and he began to prophesy Zacharias, the priestly Zacharias. It's a wonderful prophecy. You should read it. We tend to only read it at Christmas time, but it's a wonderful prophecy. But there's one verse in it, verse 78. Luke 178. Here's what he said. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Now, you know that John was the forerunner, the forerunner of Christ, the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of the day spring to visit us. And through the prophetic word, it tells us that it was through God's tender mercy that God, in love and grace, sent a son to die for you and me, the dayspring. God demonstrated his love towards us, Paul says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. In his mercy, he sent his only son to die for us. In his mercy, he sent his Holy Spirit to convict you and me. In his mercy, he sent someone to witness to us. In his mercy... He sent someone, perhaps, to put a gospel tract into her hand. In his mercy, he sent someone to invite us to the house of God. In his mercy, he caused someone to pray and intercede for our eternal soul. It's all the mercy of God. That's why we're here tonight. Without his mercy, just justice. Within his mercy he saved us. Somebody rightly said that mercy means that God doesn't give us what we do deserve, and grace does give us what we don't deserve. And he gave us both. Mercy and grace. Jesus was also merciful to the hopeless and to the helpless. Hmm. When you read the gospel, you can't avoid seeing the great compassionate heart of Jesus reaching out in mercy and love and touching lives. When that adulterous woman was dragged through the streets of Jerusalem right into the very temple, thrown at the feet of Jesus... The adulterous woman. That means that she was sleeping with somebody else's husband. That's what that means. And they said the law says she should be stoned. The law says she is guilty of death. And she was, and the law did say that. But Jesus was preaching love. He was preaching forgiveness. He was preaching grace. He was preaching mercy. Which is why they tried to trick him and trip him. But you know what happened? Long story short. Jesus forgave that woman. He showed her mercy. James says mercy triumphs over judgment. And justice often brings judgment. And she deserved judgment. But Jesus showed her mercy. Woman, where are your accusers? After they all had left. No man accused me, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Ah, but go and sin no more. Didn't condone what you did. Go and sin no more. And I would like to think and I would be pretty sure that she did not sin anymore in that particular lifestyle that she had that she was maybe trapped in. Lots of people trapped in lifestyles. Trapped. Adulterous relationships. Drink, drugs. Trapped. Feel they can't get out. But Christ and his mercy can come and he can set them free and deliver them. That poor man in Gadara, completely possessed by evil spirits, living in a graveyard, running naked, no sense of decency or dignity, probably filthy, cutting themselves with stones, sharp stones, Crying night and day, times people were frightened, would try to grab him, to stop him and he couldn't. He was so powerfully strong with these evil forces. And Jesus, on the Sea of Galilee, heard him cry, and had mercy. You know, and Gary and I, last, almost this time last year, we were on the Sea of Galilee. And you couldn't help but look across to where Gadara was. And as I stood in that boat, I was thinking, Jesus must have been here somewhere. He heard that cry. And his heart of compassion and mercy was touched. And he took that special journey for that one man to set him free. And he was found seated, clothed, and in his right mind by the time Jesus had finished with him, by the time Jesus showed mercy to him. And this is the mercy of God. This is our God. This is the God that the world out there doesn't really know. If they knew this God of mercy, perhaps they would come to him. Put been told a big lie, but he's a God of mercy. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. She wasn't living in a graveyard. She wasn't cutting herself. She wasn't crying night and day. But you can be sure those evil black forces had changed her personality. And you can be sure they were controlling her actions and attitudes and behavior. She was not the person that she used to be. Not the person that she wanted to be. But she was what she was. How she got those, we don't know. But one day she met the master. And one word from the master, and those forces were dispelled. And suddenly... She was free as a bird. Suddenly the real Mary of Magdala came to the fore. And she became one of the one of the greatest disciples of Jesus. First at the tomb, last at the cross. First one to herald Jesus' resurrection all because of the mercy of God, but God who is rich in mercy. The man lying at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, Jesus comes along and says, Do you want to be well? Yes, Lord. I want to be well. But by the time the angel comes and disturbs the pool, it's too late because others have got in front of me. I have no more. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Wouldn't you love to have been there? And he did. And he walked. And he was so excited. And there's a great crowd. And Jesus melted into the crowd and walked away. Next time, if you're reading John five, the next time we see him is in the temple. He went to church to give thanks to God. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? First thing he did was, when he got healed, he went to the temple to praise God. And those Pharisees, who knew him, said, "How did this happen?" He says, "Well, this man came along, and told me to take up my bed and walk." Don't you know this is the Sabbath? You are not supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. That's all they cared about was their little rules and regulations that not even God had given to them. There was Sabbath laws, but not the ones that they were imposing. Who did this? (laughs) And so when they found out it was Jesus, they were even more angry. But Jesus found the man. You know what he said to him? He says, Now that you're well, he says, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, to me, that implies that whatever was wrong with the man, he had an infirmity that obviously affected his mobility. But in his case, in his case, I stipulate, somewhere along the line, Whatever sin he was involved in caused him this infirmity. And Jesus was telling him, don't you ever do that again, because if you do, even worse will come upon you. But what mercy Jesus showed him. After 38 years of no relief, Jesus comes, and in a moment of time, he is set free and he goes to the temple to thank God. I love that story of the widow of Nain. Uh, Jesus just healed the servant of the centurion, and they were moving on, and they were close to to the little town of Nain. And as they got there, there was a funeral procession. The funeral procession was going out, and the widow was crying. She was a widow woman. This was her only son, and there he is on the bier, this open top with, you know, this structure they carried on with just a blanket over him. The NIV, or the New King James says, it's a coffin, but not as we would know it. And there they were carrying him to the cemetery. And when Jesus saw that widow woman crying because she has lost her only son, do you realize how difficult it was in those days to be a widow Woman, Her husband is dead, cannot provide for her. Her only son, her dear son, is dead too. What is she going to do? Yes, there is Levitical laws for the poor, but by this time, most of them are being ignored. The Pharisees didn't care. They only cared about themselves. And when Jesus saw this woman crying, salt tears, as we say, Heartbreaking. His great heart of mercy stopped that procession and he touched the bier and he said, Young man, I say unto you, arise. Wouldn't you love to have been there? And he sat up and he began to speak. What a wonderful, wonderful miracle resurrection because of the mercy of God but God who is rich in mercy Hmm. because we have received this mercy we above all people should be able to show mercy freely you have received freely give how could we not be merciful after the mercy that we have received? Lovely verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Don't need to turn to it. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to show mercy, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's a good pattern for life, isn't it? To do justly, To love mercy, to walk humbly. James 2, verse 13 in the New Living Translation, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. It's just the same. If we can't forgive, we can't be forgiven. Fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Let me just close with this little thought. But God who is rich in mercy. Paul uses that word Plusios. Plousios is where we get Pluto from. Pluto is the god of the underworld. And because he's the god of the underworld, underground is where we get our riches, our gold, our silver, our precious stones. So he became known as the god of wealth. Pluto is how we know him. The Greek god of wealth. A plutocrat. Is someone who is extremely wealthy and rules by it. You might say that Donald Trump is a plutocrat. And he is. He's extremely wealthy and he rules by it. Bill Gates is a plutocrat. Plusios means wealth. Krat is from Kratos, which means power or dominion. A plutocracy. It's a government that's run by a few billionaires, few exceptionally wealthy people who run the whole country by their wealth. It's interesting. This Greek God would be one of the Greek gods that the Ephesians would worship, the God of wealth. And Paul is saying to them, listen, our God is the God of wealth. Our God is the God of true wealth, the wealth of the riches of our God, the wealth of his mercy, the wealth of his compassion, the wealth of his love, the wealth of his forgiveness, the wealth of his pardon. Our God is the wealthy God. He's rich in every blessing, rich in every good thing for our lives. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. But God, who is rich in mercy. So never doubt the mercy of God. From the moment we get saved, we are experienced. We knew we were experienced the mercy of God. God had mercy on us before we ever got saved. He did. Sometimes we escape things that we had no right to escape, but God was merciful. He had a plan for us, and thank God he did. Amen? Amen. And so, this is our God tonight, the merciful God the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that has got a wonderful plan for not only for time, but for all eternity. Lord, we thank you tonight that you came to this world because of mercy, because of grace, because out of that deep well of your love, and you were merciful to us. We who were lost, we who had no hope, and yet in your mercy you saved us. And so we thank you that we can walk in it every single day of our lives. We experience your mercy and grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. Thank you for going to that cross for us. And thank you for your great mercy and love that saved us. We praise you, we honor you tonight for who you are and for what you have done. And we'll give you glory throughout all eternity because you're worth it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content. Available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk